This is Jared Kleinstein with Fresh Tape Media and Gondola, and you're listening to the Real Talk Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Real Talk Podcast. I am super stoked to have my guy, Jared Kleinstein, on the show today. Let me tell you a little bit about Jared. Jared is the founder and CEO of Denver-based agency Fresh Tape Media and Gondola, two separate companies. Fresh Tape Media is a Denver-based creative agency that makes videos, photos, and experiences for brands, sports properties, and media companies. His team runs a network of over 150 of the top creators, which include shooters, editors, designers, writers, and social media influencers to help create media for his clients. Some of them, including the Washington Capitals, go Caps, Denver Broncos, NASCAR, Formula One, the Arizona Cardinals, the Colorado Rockies, NFL, NBA, NCAA basketball, Major League Baseball, Facebook, and Twitter, just to name a few. Fresh Tape has done videos on Zion Williamson when he entered the NBA draft. He took on the NCAA college football playoffs content during media day and game day, providing their social media platform with unique content to post during the finals to drive social media conversation. He has produced the MLB 101 series with the Mariners, D. Gordon and Nelson Cruz with a blog behind the scenes in the locker room. And he's also produced content for the Caps as Alex Ovechkin became the eighth player in the NFL history to record over 700, or actually record 700 career goals. So you may wonder why on earth would Jared come on to my real estate podcast? I'd say the answer in two folds. First, you may not know this, but Jared was the original member of the Street Easy team where he spent more than seven years with the founding team to help build out the aggregator before Zello purchased Street Easy for $50 million back in 2013. Second, his knowledge of video content creation and social media production is more important than ever for small and large businesses, including real estate brokers, and real estate brokerages. A uh, few fun facts about Jared. He worked as the head of sports and international content strategy at Twitter after Street Easy, uh, Twitter and Vine to be exact. And Jared is the founder of founder and CEO of tboeing.com. I know many of you remember Tim Tebow. Uh, tboeing.com was the world's largest database for tboeing photos. Uh, another fun fact about Jared, he is a very good skier. Uh, he was a bail. He was Bale's ski instructor for seven years. You can follow Jared on Instagram and Twitter at J A R Z O D and Fresh Tape Media. Again, his Twitter and IG are the same, Jarzad and at Fresh Tape Media. So, Jared Kleinstein, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining. Talk. I am stoked to be on with you. It's an honor. <laughs> I'm really happy. I mean, it's good to see you. You know, haven't, we haven't seen each other in, in person for about two years since Bill closing day, closing weekend was it two years ago on the mountain on the top of chair four. Yeah, on top of chair four. But yeah, but I haven't really seen you in person then. So it's really nice to catch up. You too, sir. Um, yeah, it's a great place that we met two years ago, but I feel like that was like a lifetime. <laughs> it's a slightly different world than last time we hung out. Yeah, everything has changed. Everything has changed then. Well, listen, uh, for the audience, uh, let me just warm up, uh, warm you up with, with a couple of warm-up questions, and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty. How about this, huh? So as an ex, ex and current tech guy, uh, what, if you had to choose one or the other, Uber or Lyft? 
Uber. Uber. Okay. Why is that? Loyal? Loyal customer? Uh, loyal. Um, I just, I, the weird thing is like for years, I've been so excited about the one principle of Uber of just like, how many people don't die of drunk driving deaths because of the <laughs> distance? Yes. And I'm just like, I'm really like grateful for that company, for that fact that I feel like every ad should just start with Uber. Less people are dying of drunk driving because of us. <laughs> um, but because they were at the forefront of it, I've kind of uh, stayed loyal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, less deaths. You're right. The countless number of lives that Uber has saved is a, such a value add to society. Okay, uh, as a Colorado guy uh, and a guy that uh, is, drives on I-70 quite often, Vale or Beaver Creek? Uh, vale. Um, vale. Vale for the Co Bulls. Company man. And I'm a company man, but Vale for the Bulls, Beaver Creek for a Saturday without powder. So that if okay. there's not like anything fresh and you want to avoid lines and just cruise and have a great, you know, groomer and moguls day, Beaver is your spot. Uh, I, yes. I like, I'd, I'd say I probably do 70% to 30% veil over beef in terms okay. of total days at the resorts. Good tips for our listeners. Yeah. Well, we actually work with, there's a, there's a section of Beaver Creek, uh, Arrowhead, which is, you know, the furthest West section of Beaver mm -hmm. Creek. Okay. Uh, and we actually, we run all their social media and a lot of their communications. So. Oh, that's great. They're really that's awesome. A, that's and right I, past I, the like, Arrowhead entries. Yeah, it's like Beave uh, Bachelor's Gulch, then Arrowhead. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Arrowhead is just, you know, it's like a little oasis. It's got, you mm -hmm. know, great runs, way less people. It's just, it's awesome there. Um, that's great. That's great. So actually, that kind of leads into my next warm-up question. Uh, as a veil guy, Blue Sky Ride, Blue Sky Basin, or the front side of Veil? Uh, Blue Sky. Um, I have like a routine because I, when I, you know, I skied there every weekend in my childhood and raced for Vail and uh, did like Devo and all that stuff. And so I have like a favorite path to get to Blue Sky. So front side's awesome, but I know like if I'm going to take Milts to Genghis to Lovers and then a couple runs, my favorite runs in uh, Blue Sky, I'm just going to have like the perfect day. What chair numbers would dream. you use? So what, what chair numbers do you use to get to Blue Sky? What's the best route back there? Uh, start the day on six to 11 to the top of the mountain, down to nine, uh, up nine, Genghis to uh, 36 and up Blue Sky. And then um, I actually, it's funny, I feel like locals or people from here who grew up there all refer to them by numbers, except Blue Sky. I know a bunch of people that are like, yeah, we don't even know. I think we call it Pete's Lift and we call it um, Pete's Dash. You know, yeah, the, Pete's Lift. There's Pete's, Pete's and then there's. Uh, the main blue sky lift, but like, I think that's 36 and 38. That's 37. I, I mix 37. Yeah. 37 is, is the main Which one. is 37. 30, yeah, 37, 37 is the, is the one so that goes like, up lover's leap, past yeah. lover's leap on the left. Yeah. So it's nine to 37. If 37 is closed, a lap up 36 for one more Genghis. Two laps on blue sky on 37, one on Pete's and then down to 21 for a red square lap. I've got, I've got that kind of dialed in you got that dialed in dialed in i also still uh, feel as the like this is like talking to somebody like this is like somebody talking about new york real estate to like somebody in south carolina like <laughs> talking about all the little intricacies it's like nobody really cares about my route to get down bail well let's just I'm say this to, if to, you just to lost the, 
No, no, no. To the listeners that want to visit Vail and want to know the locals' route to get to the good stuff, then take notes. You know, bookmark this bookmark this episode. Make yeah. sure you listen in a couple minutes in so that you know where to do where to go, what to do. Um, I personally skip Chennai just because it takes longer. It's 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 for you. It's an extra lap. Uh, but if it's a busy day, I go straight to thirty seven from chair fourteen, uh, which is Whiskey Jack. Yeah. Uh, but okay. But n- n- enough about me. All right. Denver or NYC? Pretty hard, huh? Denver. No question. <laughs> no question. Uh, I lived in NYC for. I was in NYC for eight years. Best eight years ever. I don't regret it, and I'm, I never want to leave. Um, He's village, right? I was. Yep. I was on. I was yeah. on thirteenth and first, and then twelfth yeah. and fourth. Uh, yeah. So I was in just two places. I was a rarity. Most people like bop around New York to different places. Like I had two total apartments over the course of eight years um, and I loved it and it was the best. But uh, for me, where I am now, like I got a dog, I got a wife. Like I love, I, I love having what I have now and I'm close to my family. So like, I can't sure. say oh, city over city, like city to city comparison, New York is a better city, but sure. In terms of like for me and for where I am in my life, like I'm just so happy to be here. Quality of life can't be beat out in Colorado, that's for sure. Back in New York City days, you know, what, what was your go-to bar? Favorite bar, go-to bar in Manhattan? Oh, this is hard emotionally. Um, <laughs> uh, my favorite bar was a place called Ducks Eatery on 12th and 1st. They okay. just closed down because of COVID. Oh, but yeah. um like the head chef and owner were a brother sister combo, uh, Julian Will Horowitz, and they just made such good food and such good drinks. And like they were famous, they went super viral on the internet last year, year the year before for like a watermelon ham. I don't know if you ever saw that. It's like mm-hmm. a watermelon that looked like ham, but it was a watermelon. Okay. Uh, but they ducks was just my spot. I love that place so much. And that or uh, O'Hanlon's just for a dive bar. And then every year I spent my birthday at Bleecker Street Bar, which is also supposed oh, nice. to be closed. Yes, um, it is. Yeah, so that was my favorite. One of my favorite spots too. Yeah, a well, lot you know, of darts good. were played there. A lot of darts. I'm sure you played some pool. Yeah, a lot of fun times in the back over there. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, same same, oh, yeah. same with me. Yeah, I've had, I've, I've had some good, good times in those bars. Uh, all right, so switch gears a little bit, but um, your favorite restaurant in New York City back in the day? Uh, favorite restaurant would not be a specific place as much as an experience. I used okay. to do, well, I, okay. If I had to pick a f- specific place, like right now, one meal in the city, it would probably just go to Joe Shanghai and have a yeah. stoop dumplings. But, oh yeah. Uh, I used to do one of my favorite, like food things to do in the city was to go to seventh between first and a, and just okay. go to like four, there were like four or five great restaurants on that one block. Same thing as like, uh, I think, um, Oh God, what is it? What's the block that has like Ruby Rosa and a few other places in Soho um, between like Spring uh, and Houston, whatever. But seven between first and A, I would go to like Caracas for arepas, Luke's for a lobster roll, Yuka yes. uh, Bar for like these yes. espresso ribs they had. And that was like, for me, like the perfect dinner was not a single restaurant. It was like, yeah. go from restaurant to restaurant and just eat them to go. That was like- Yeah, you, you are a true connoisseur of Manhattan, man. I tell you that- yeah, that I is awesome. That um, yeah, Yuka Bar, what a throwback! That's amazing, an amazing place. I, I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're still around. Uh, we'll have to check, but uh, lots of good memories there as well, for sure. Oh yeah, it's right by your, right by your old apartment. 
all right, well, let's get it. You know, yeah. And then, or like restaurants, I used to love like ABC kitchen was like right near the old street. Yeah. Easy office. So if we want to, yeah, yeah. you know, pivot to street easy, I can say that, uh, that was like, that was a great time. Uh, to be right yeah. There. yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, that, that area, you want to talk about spending money for restaurants and by the old street easy office. I mean, you, you the budget needs to be unlimited because of the <laughs> options. And, and also the, the grade of restaurants is so high, you know, you got all the Michelin weighted restaurants yeah. right there. And, yeah. yeah, it's such an such an experience. Those good old days. All right. Well, let's let's do a little pivot. Uh, I want to talk basically, you know, a little bit about your early days at Street Easy. You know, you you were there for seven years. I mean, that, that's probably one of the long, longest tenured staff members before it was purchased and acquired by Zillow. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your initial roles at, at Street Easy. You know what you did there, and I, I know you had more than one role. So, you know, what, what was your actually, you know, what kind of function did you perform there? Well, I mean, I, when I first started, I was an intern, I was still in college and uh, they gave me a role. There were only seven people, I believe on the team at the time, um, six or seven of us. And I, the, the, I'll never forget the first day when I walked in and I was, you know, fresh, you know, young would have done anything. And this, one of the engineers, um, I think it was Connor said to me, um, do you, I, do you want to run SEO? And I said, what's, what's, what's SEO? And he said, Google it. And then he like smirked. And I think they all realized like having somebody Google what SEO was, was kind of absurd, but yeah, my first job was figure out street easy's SEO and figure out how we could be the number one search result for like NYC real estate. And I would track it. And I was like, I was, you know, a marketing-ish intern, but I kind of did a little bit of everything. So it was a combination of like design things, a lot of agent, um, uh, you know, work for real estate in terms of like working with the brokers on um, different output in terms of how our, how like, the insider product work for agents and stuff like that, doing a lot of like user research for the brokerage community. Um, and then just everything marketing, you know, whether it's, we want to be doing social media now, this is 2007. So this is like yeah. free everything. Like, yeah, uh, what's, but what's, what's Instagram? SEO, SEO yeah. yeah, SEO, design, every, a little bit of everything. And um, early on, I was taught how to, um, how to train the, uh, real estate community on how to use the platform because you know this is in 2007 2008 we were not seen as friends of the community we were like the disruptors right mm -hmm. so it took a lot of office visits to uh, explain to people like hey we're on your side like we're not a brokerage we're not trying to like uh, come your after your business or, yeah. yeah and that was like people would be really start every conversation with like their elbows crossed just you know arms crossed like, what's this guy doing here uh and you know i'm like 19 20 years old and uh i'm just like hey we're not gonna challenge your business um but then you know it took a lot of years of going into offices and like getting to know the real estate community to uh gain trust and show that we were friends not foes but like i'll never forget i went into this djk office uh to train the agents on how to use uh, street easy and there was a list of the best of the top salespeople at the company and the, like it was like a lot of people that did okay and then like eight times them was you talk and i was like yo who is talk how is he so and this is like also in a phase where you were submitting 
all the you had figured out a hack to get free promotion on Street Easy by submitting building descriptions. So you yes. sent descriptions for every building in the city, <laughs> and we did it as like a like, hey, it'll be a fun way to, for us to get free content, and we'll get to have a lot of brokerages get exposure. And then it was just like the talk show. That was it. <laughs> like this, it was just like every. It was just like how could we get as much how could talk get as much free promotion as humanly possible? And it was great. It was a win-win. I loved it. I love those days. Yeah. I love those days. I mean, I would yeah. go around and get photos of the building. <laughs> the description It's 2008, you know, yeah. 2008, like there's really yeah. nothing, there was no real infrastructure then. So, um, yeah. and we shared, we quick, shared though. an office. Oh, yeah. yeah. We were, yeah. In, we were right. at 19th, the Broadway, sorry, talk. We were, we were at an office in 19th, the Broadway, that's you know, right, sharing right. space with our CEOs, like uh, close friends, a political strategy company so it was just a it was a very different time i would blast friday by rebecca black and uh, bother the whole building it was i was young and reckless that's a, that's awesome uh, going back to what you said earlier the seo the engineer approached you it was like you know you want to be in charge of seo what was Easy's seo like back then i mean did it even come up on a google search we were yeah, we would show up on some things. It was like back then, this is back in the day where like long tail wasn't understood for its value as much as the short tail SEO. So like in truth, if we looked at it a few years later, uh, we got probably more exposure from everybody Googling um, individual addresses and those building pages showing up at the top search results Yeah. versus yeah. at that time we, we thought like if we don't show up for NYC real estate at the top, then it'll, it's yep. going to be the end of the world. So that's the kind exactly. of like focus. It was that short tail, big keywords. And we were in the top 10 for some things. And then mm -hmm. it would be a big win if we went from like 30th to 24th. And I'd be so proud of it. And like, it really was nothing to do with me. I would be like, let's fix our meta tags. And what if we change the name of StreetEasy to nycrealestate.com or something just like <laughs> terrible, terrible ideas that I'm very happy we're not taking seriously. <laughs> um, at the time when you started, was there another competition as an aggregator outside of maybe Zillow? Was oh, there yeah. some, I, I can't even remember. Oh my was God. There Real, uh, Realtor.com? Like, there was. was so when I started, so 2007, the the biggest companies. This is gonna sound fun. If you're if you were in this industry back then, you're gonna like get some uh, nostalgic vibes. Yeah. So it was like New York Times was the big one, right? And that uh -huh. was more of like marketing and whatnot. But people thought about where they were finding their listings. It was New York Times, a little bit yeah. of Craigslist, but there was uh, and Zillow and Trulia were really not in the picture that much in New York. Um, there was Nate Find. I don't know if you remember that. I don't remember that one. Nope. Uh, Nate Find was like one of those Streetyz like type of sites. Yeah. Uh, Streetyz esque sites. Um, yeah. There were. It, it also depended on what you were looking for. So in the rental space, there were a bunch of different uh, products that people used, um, but they kind of like went over. And then like the other thing is just people would go to brokerage websites. You'd go straight to yeah. element.com, but you only had yeah. access to elements listings. You went to, yeah. to yeah. corcoran.com. You only had Corcoran's listings and yeah. people, that was what, it, that's what we knew. And we were fine with it. Yeah. Right. As yeah. a, as a yeah. world. Yeah. Um, that was the norm back then. No one knew. Yeah. Yeah. So that space back then was yeah. really, really wide open for you to, for you guys to basically take. Yeah. It was all it was open a, for your I taking. Mean, there was a, a lot, but I think that the concern at the time was, you know, uh, we want to not be hated by the brokerage community. 
while at the same time we were scraping their listings and pulling them straight to our website, you know, um, and saying like, but we weren't saying asking for permission. There wasn't direct feeds, right? So no. then my second, one of my second roles was like reaching out to every small landlord and big landlord in the city and saying like, hey, do you want to give us a feed of your listings? And these are people yeah. who like did everything with open listings with four, with like a list of 20 realtors that they knew that had like small one person brokerages. Uh, yeah. And they would be like, uh, yo, I have, an, I have a limited listing with, you know, six guys from that I, that I offer that my stuff to. So, and it's all on a piece of paper. So I don't want to like put it online. Like, look, yeah. I'm printing like leases every day. I'm just sitting, I'm just signing checks. It's just easy. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, crazy different world from what we are now where almost I'd say most management companies and landlords are probably putting their stuff directly online in some capacity. Yeah, I think Colombian Property Group. I think they stopped faxing their rental availabilities once once brokerages even just moved away from fax fax machines, and that was still 2010, 2011, yeah. 2012. I once sat in an office with somebody. I'm not going to name the company, but the person <laughs> was yeah. going through. The person was going through leases, and there were so many leases to sign that he or she just had a stamp, and would just like have a full conversation with me while stamping like the leases. Like <gasps> it was just, I guess their point was, why do I need your service? Uh, like I'm not paying broker fees right now. The, the tenants are paying the fees on top. I can just like stamp these um, and, you know, then nobody will know my availabilities and everybody will be happy. So there's a lot of ignorance right. being bliss at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think technology, uh, more so empower the consumer and then took power away from some of these landlords that, you know, they didn't want to show their vacancy or didn't want to show the neighboring prices so that they could leverage out renewals and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So they probably saw you as a disruptor and potentially an enemy as well to some extent. So you had a really tough job. Talk to me about when you visited these brokerages, like, you know, how we met at DJK. I mean, you also went to the elements. You went to like right. the 15, 15 to 20 offices at Element and Corcoran and City Habitats and Browner Stevens and Halstead. You know, you saw them all. You met them all. I mean, do you have any interesting experiences or stories of, of certain things that you know you experienced during the oh during God. your round, making your rounds? I'm sure you have a bunch. I mean, you know, how about, how about um, yeah. from oh, manager, managers, brokers? I mean, people, I mean, you know, the owners of these brokerages. I mean, what, what can you tell me yeah, about that? To be real, I Without, loved it. I really loved it. Names I got lucky want. because when I started <laughs> – no, I won't. I, I can name. I won't name names, but I can say that I loved it. I loved getting to know the real estate community. I love like gaining the trust of the because I knew I had good motives, right? I know I wasn't lying about stuff, oh. so I would be like, "This is what we're doing. We're trying to help you. How can I help?" And I felt very, uh, it felt very genuine and real, right? In terms sure. of just sure. like why I was there, what I was trying to accomplish. Um, and I wasn't getting sales commission. So there was no, like, no. if I got 50 people, I made more money. So it was more just like education. So I really yeah. loved it. And I got to know so many cool people to the point that like, I could name every element office, who the office manager was, who their top salespeople were. And it wasn't cause I studied it. It was just, I spent enough time like going there. And then whenever we had a new product release, I'd be like, Hey, we're launching this new pro product. I got to show it to your team. Um, when can I come by Chris or when can I come by? You know, like, it would be like, there's a lot of Chris's that run offices. <laughs> A lot of a lot um, of Chris's in real estate. I can a lot of Chris's. Uh, so I, it was a lot of fun. I there were some horror stories. Um, <laughs> I think that the funniest thing that ever happened, or the craziest thing that ever happened, was probably. Uh, and this is like I was so young and so like naive. I 
I would also, I didn't know how to dress myself back then. Derek Gross and Alexa Batista essentially said, you're not going to any more offices until you get jeans that aren't ripped. And you're not going uh. until you find a sport coat. So I went to like Burlington Coat Factory and bought a sport coat so that I could like show up at these offices. Oh my um, God, so old school. So, so I go into, I went into like an office on the Upper East Side and uh, I was trying to explain why Street Easy was valuable. And we, the internet died. And we had no access to demo street easy. So I was just talking. And when I talk, it just, I end up like saying something that's like the wrong thing because I can't just like point and distract people. Yes. Show yeah, them yeah, yeah. The website. So yeah. I was talking. And at one point, I think I said like, um, you know, back in the day, a real estate agent can say to you like, hey, the apartment used to cost 3000 Now it is 2500 Great deal. And like, that was fine because they were, you know, there was no way to find out, you know, whether that was accurate or not. And it was real or not. Like, you know, I was trying to imitate realtors and somebody just stormed out of the room. And I was like, what? And I guess she thought I was doing a Russian impersonation. Technically I was doing an Israeli impersonation. I'm Jewish. I've been, to, I've lived in Israel. I thought I was doing a good Israeli imitation. I thought if I did it in front of an Israeli, he would recognize that I was doing an Israeli impersonation. She thought I was imitating Russians. So she said that she was going to be calling my manager and getting me fired. So I spent the subway back to the office, just like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my job because I imitated an Israeli, but it was a bad imitation. Um, And uh, and then like, I get back and Michael and Don kind of like, like, no, we're not firing you because you made a bad impersonation of an Israeli real estate agent. So that was, that was one of my serious career moments. That is amazing. That is amazing. I mean, poor lady, you know, I mean, no ill intention knowing you obviously no i was i was trying to show that like that transparency is good and that like it's good to be able to tell people honest facts about apartments rather than them have to like take somebody's word that the price went down right and back now it's like the norm of course trans yeah you shouldn't be able to lie about what something used to cost nobody thinks that's weird back then people actually did like make up old prices so that people thought it was a good discount so yeah 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 you know it was Did you ever get into uh, in any bickering during these trainings? I mean, I'm sure some of the brokers that weren't too used to technology felt threatened by you, right? Like you said earlier. So did you ever have yeah. any, you know, during your presentations where there were, oh, like, why are you coming into our office and doing this? Why, why is the internet taking over? And why are you guys trying to, you know, expose this and that or our data or explicit things or, you know, X, Y, Z? And did you ever have any uh, experiences with that? Type? You know, I mean, growth is painful, right? Yeah. So people... People probably have. Yeah, you were part of probably part of their pain point during during the growth of the tech era. Oh, for sure. And I recognized. <laughs> I, I think that the the cool thing was, I believed so much in Street Easy into what we were doing that uh, I I felt like I had enough answers in my head that there was no question that I could get that I would not have a fair response to based on our motives right sure. like, like there was every every question in the world you're gonna you're gonna become a brokerage i'm like no we're not because then we would have a conflict of interest when we show our listing the whole point we're trying to do is transparency why would we show your listing above ours if we were brokerage and that's not our intention and i would have but i would also like because i was so you know young and overconfident um i i probably like just took every dig about what we were doing and was and like laughed it off and just didn't take it seriously good like, for you ah, nah, we're good 
because i just i knew what we were doing i believed in it so it made things yeah, fun. Man. and we became yeah. like eventually like if you become not just like clients vendor relationship type of thing and you start like creating friendships with people at these offices then you end up having allies and that was one of the coolest yeah. things is that as much as i could fight my battles when i was 21 and 22 by the time i was 24 25 there were people in the office that had seen the pitch six times, eight times. So when somebody comes in and says, you're going to do X, I didn't even have to say it. I would just kind of look over and be like, Jess, what do you think? And Jess would say, I, I've been using this for years. They're on our side. And it kind of like, yeah. like Perfect. the, the community easier. became my allies. Yeah. Good. Oh, Good. yeah. Sure. It made it easier. Speaking of that, so the community becoming your allies you know, what was at, what was the goal back then, Street Easy, while you were there? Was it to become the biggest aggregator or was it to, you know, make the most money off marketing? Or was it, I mean, what was the actual goal for you in, the, in, the, in your C-suite? Back then, I'd say without like putting words in Michael's mouth as the CEO, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. it was like business and partnerships and whatnot. But yeah, uh, our goal was to be the best database like we, people think of it like zillow is, is much more marketing heavy right like very, if you compare very, it, like, yeah, yeah. common street easy um very. and so was the new york times but the way we tried to differentiate from the new york times back then was we said we aren't a marketing website we are a listings database and, and we judged our success based on what we thought was the most comprehensive database of real estate listings in the city and the reason we thought that was important was if everybody found their place on street easy great but if the data was accurate and we had enough stuff that we felt like we could competently talk as data experts, then we could get the organic growth through people like Sophia and then later Alan who ran like, um, you know, research and comms, mm -hmm. like the research side of things could fuel articles in Curbed and like that, the, the joint growth of Curbed and Street Easy was not an accident, right? Like yeah. people, um, this curve was so lucky to have a database like street easy to to find their information from and street easy was so lucky to have curb to uh you know share the stories and highlight street easy as the place that they found it so like from you know joey and sarah and some of the and lockhart and the early curb folks like they were all so good to us and we like i credit a lot of our growth to the combination of them and the real deal and everybody. And it's because we weren't just a marketing database because we were a, a listings aggregator. So the goal was like, be the best listings aggregator. So everybody trusts us so that you would go to us as the first source, not just for finding data and whatnot, but like when people talked about why you should go to street easy, it's because they have everything and it's accurate. So that was kind of what that's, we were proud of. That's so phenomenal. I mean, I, I actually, it makes sense now because I do remember seeing curbed ads on Street Easy back in the day, or maybe vice versa. And you're right. I mean, curb does bring in, obviously, maybe even a different, more, more, a, a different demographic that would feed into Street Easy. And then Street Easy would, Street Easy users would go into curb, and that would be a different demographic than what typical curb readers uh, might be. So kind of definitely, you're right. The exchange of, of, of the, of the viewership between the two sites definitely helped grow each other. That's for sure. Yeah. And, and, and that's, yeah. it was a really fascinating uh, experience in terms of like um, the transformation of, you know, looking for real estate from being a short, it's, I think that real estate porn, if you want to call it that, like 
combing through listings has always been a thing. People have always voyeuristically looked through like the times for like, uh, you know, ambitious future homes and whatnot. Sure. Uh, and like the Zillow art, the Zillow Saturday Night Live thing comes out last week and people are like, that's what I'm yeah. doing. But like, yo, Street Easy really took that to the next level in 2007 through 2015. It's like, if you felt, if you were in New York, I feel like you had the best and most like deep experience of like the second you buy a place, you immediately are looking at street easy to see what else is available. And it wasn't yeah, exactly because we had a, and we, it's not because we had an estimate of how much your place was worth. It's because we like had this extraordinary database around everything. Yeah. The, that database definitely was the most cutting edge for sure. Uh, you know, as and that's why you guys became the top website, uh, I guess, you know, before, before the merger with Zillow, uh, were you aware of the possibility that Street Easy was going to sell to an, uh, another aggregator back then, or did that was that kind of a last minute um, thing? Uh, so it was really funny. I actually, not everybody knows this. Um, I had so when before Street Easy got acquired by Zillow, we had launched Hamptons, we had launched Jersey, yep. and we had launched yep. Miami. Miami, yeah. Um, and I had intended to move to chicago to launch oh. street easy chicago and oh. i had been there for so long that i asked michael like hey before i launch i'm actually i'd like to take a sabbatical um so i uh, i he said sure and I, on my sabbatical i was in vancouver on vancouver island like in the middle of nowhere oh. and i yep. got a call from michael and he's like hey can you be here in two days can you get back in two days we're announcing the acquisition by zillow and like I wasn't blind to the investors in the room and like VC people and all the different conversations that have been had over the years to understand that it could happen at some point. I can't say that I knew it was going to be Zillow on that day, but like I flew back in secret. Um, couldn't tell my friends that I was coming back to New York because we were announcing the acquisition the next day. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so it was a so crazy you, experience. You kind of had the idea. Do you think the founders their goal from day one when they found it street easy was to eventually sell to a big aggregator like Zillow. Or do you think that just I don't kind think of I can put that, I don't think I can. I mean, that's, that's what happens in the world that we work in, but I don't sure. think that that was necessarily Michael's intention. I mean, yeah. that crew that the early people, Michael, you know, Sebas and the other people, like um, if they had wanted to make something to be sold to an aggregator to like one of the big listing platforms as a marketing product we probably would have gone a different direction with product development um i and i i you know i, just, I can't talk to like if that was the original intention all of us right. loved it and we like in terms of just like we're a lot i think a lot of startups people are looking for their exit um and i'm sure there's some people at every company no matter who you are who's looking at their equity wondering what it's gonna be worth someday we just love street easy as a company so much our employees our friends uh what we did that like i don't think as much especially compared to other startups that are trying to be acquired most of us just you know we're more focused on how much we loved our lives and our team than we were about where yeah, the next good. thing was yeah good uh so so you know, I don't want to just kind of do a little pivot here. You're, you know, what are your thoughts on the post-acquisition present time of Street Easy? I mean, things are drastically different. A lot of brokers actually hate it more now 
than they did while you were there during the 1.0 era. You may know, I don't know if you know this, but they charge us daily fees uh, for rentals. It used to be $7 during the pandemic. It cut down to three, but they still charge. They also charge owners if they want to themselves a, a listing fee. Um, right. They're trying to upsell us with uh, building pages where, you know, where I used to just log in and kind of write down the description and submit and I would have the credit. Now, it's, if you want your building face next to a building page, you have to pay for it. And now and they used to do the right. zip. Uh, they, they stopped it, but they used to sell zip codes to us like uh, so us with agents nationally. So, you know, w- what are your thoughts of this website now? And, and did you know that this was kind of the direction that it was headed when you left? Um. It was, I mean, the writings on the wall that when you get acquired by a company that does things a certain way, they would love, whether they can or can't, they would always love to make your product, you know, embody their ethos, right? And yeah. we had good conversations early on with, you know, Spencer and Lloyd and Rich Barton, all those like the leadership at, at Zillow um, about why they did what they did in terms of like why they love what they love about Zillow, why they built the product the way they did. And I think like objectively, if we're not trying to be, if we're, if we're emotional, I can always, anybody can be nostalgic about how things used to be at their product. And you can say it was better X, Y, or Z. Right. But what if, if they have done such an amazing job of making it a more valuable product, and have somehow even more people than ever using their platform, right? StreetEasy Street mm-hmm. is undeniably today, if you ask me, more valuable if it was to be acquired. Like if Zillow spun off StreetEasy and said, what is it worth? I think they've done an amazing job gaining more value from the uh, audience that they have. Their vision of StreetEasy is more of a marketing platform rather than as a like a data and listings aggregator um, has been a very profitable one so like i think that i can get nostalgic yeah i can get nostalgic all day about like oh back in the day it was great it looks way prettier now um like the between mobile and everything like i also i still know a lot of engineers that still work on it and they'll work there good they've done an amazing job yeah a lot there's a bunch of former street easy people or from like not for current street easy people and other people that i worked with when i was there and like they, I, I cannot say that they've done uh, anything they shouldn't have. I can't say that yeah. I wish, like I could say, oh, I wish things how they were, but like, this is where the world took and I'm proud of the team that got it here, so. Good, good, yeah, their valuation probably doubled, doubled since, since they, they sold. So yeah, it was a good acquisition and, and by the real estate stuff, listen, yeah. I can't say that like, in order to make real estate agents happy, they could have, they would have had to really probably go down a different route when it comes to like, doing some, a lot more of the things like replacing taxi and limo. And like, we did a project for core where we did something like that um, called core control back in the day. And like all of those types of changes and going more towards being like a, a backend database, they could have done all that to make agents happy. But I think the way they went was the right move for the business. Do you think the aggregators having too much power is bad for the brokerage business? Um. I think it's really complicated. And it, I think that the reason that I find it complicated is my mom is a realtor out here in Denver. Didn't sure. say realtor. Okay. We don't just say realtor. I don't think I said realtor once in eight years in New York. And then I'm here. Dude, and never. I'm my realtor. Um, realtor. So my yeah. mom's a broker out here and she 
she does great and she like i don't look at what happens with these with the social with the aggregators as um beneficial or contra or, or counterproductive towards her business because it's about relationships and it's like the brokerage business has not changed being a good person who guides somebody through the product the progress process hasn't changed and street easy making everybody more educated hasn't changed the fact that if you are a good broker you can do well um, yeah yeah i think that if anything if street easy's past or present impact could have been to weed out like brokers who don't who only have business because of like bait, bait and switch or, or yeah. bait and switch yeah all that stuff like i'm happy with where they took it if if, if there are less shady realtors and brokers and there are more i can't believe i said realtors again um <laughs> more sh less shady brokers and more just like genuine transparent that are, that humans are, yeah yeah i totally agree so, totally agree um, if the, the brokers that the brokers that are mad are madder than ever at street easy are probably the ones who like are less confident in their own stuff so. in their business yeah yes um yeah. i think one big change that did matter you know that did angry the the anger the broker brokerage community was the listing fees but you know i i get yes. it i mean it is a part it is a partnership and brokers have made some brokers have made millions off street easy for free oh for sure and you I know? another counterpoint so to the like, rental the like the rental brokerage community has been doing shady things on street easy for years in terms of how do we not have history tracked to this rental oh well have these crazy fake unit numbers because street easy doesn't publish yes. rental unit numbers at that time yes. so let's have it be like a long algorithm people have been trying to be shady forever and they put duplicates yeah. of listings because of that yeah. so like if if a mechanism for getting people to only put active listings is that you have to get them to pay, then yeah, maybe it's not the worst thing, right? I used to communicate with the a, back end to all this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I used to communicate with a Matt Walker all the time about wrong, wrong listings. Is Matt not there wrong. anymore? <laughs> is Matt not there anymore? I don't know. I don't know. You know better than me. Hold on. Let's check LinkedIn before I make this confirmation because we can, this <laughs> podcast can be a place that like a really, intense piece of information can be released hold on matt walker street easy i mean i made his linkedin account so uh it's i don't still see there. linkedin anymore oh okay i don't see his linkedin well, account us, you want to tell us about matt walker the, the the product specialist matt was the most it was the best uh customer support person ever and no company will ever have a better customer support person and that is because he was not real he was all of us responding as matt walker um yes. and he we all just like took you know we had a assessment for doing it okay so the news is out matt walker is out. Was not real and every year I, every year at um uh at the holiday party we had a yes. code which is for the first for the first hour matt was on his way for the second hour i just saw him third hour he just left so uh i was at one of those parties and i was like oh where's matt walker you know i, I want to thank him for all the help that he's provided me over the last few years <laughs> and it was hard for us to not say hey that was me like we had to like restrain ourselves like it wasn't think, matt walker or like the one time at one point i answered the phone in 2008 i answered the phone as matt i was like soon as this is matt and somebody said hi is jared there and i was like one second Hey, this is Jared, and like, some oh my god, just like no. That's amazing. Yeah. 
That's amazing. You know, yeah, uh, yeah your, 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 your guy, Cameron, uh, he, he, he followed protocol because I, me- I remember asking him uh, at, at, at what he has like had oh, like yeah. a holiday party at a club. I was like, where's Matt Walker? I was like, oh, I think he just left. <laughs> oh, Cam is the man, and I talked to Cam last night. All of us, like all of us are still close friends. Good friends. Um, Good. Actually, yeah. Uh, wait, when's this podcast coming out? Uh, probably in about a week from today. Oh, cool. So we're, I'm one of our old trees engineers is joining my company full time. Uh, oh, good. In two good. weeks. So Great. we all, we all are in like Slack channels talking to each other every day. And um, oh, we are all still close friends. Yeah. Street Easy 1.1, 1.0, making friendships that last forever. Uh, I'm running out of time here. So I just want to switch gears now. You know, you're, you're, you are a, a social media content video creation. Uh, professional, you're a star in that genre, in that field. As you, the founder and CEO of Fresh State Media and Gondola, why do you think these businesses need you more than ever? Maybe even especially since the pandemic. I mean, you know, video content, Instagram, social media, uh, TikTok. I mean, it's all kind of new to a lot of these businesses, especially the businesses that have been around for a long time. That maybe their uh, operators are a little bit older. They don't understand the social media platform as much. I mean, why is your business more important than ever? So uh, the reason our business is important is the amount of eyeballs that people get from digital and social channels relative to their traditional uh, media channels, TV and film and broadcast is extraordinary. If you're the NBA or Fox Sports or, uh, you know, any NFL or... NFL, the amount of viewership you get from your highlights and from your engagement on unique content on social um, is extraordinary. And it, you know, it has nowhere near matched the cost of the development of that content for traditional broadcast. Uh, It is not, uh, there's nowhere near the resources spent on manpower, um, on branded, con- on, on marketing folks and creative folks. I mean, think about it. A few years ago, it wouldn't be uncommon to call somebody the social media intern at this league. And now the social media departments are, you know, 50 people at some of these big yeah. organizations. It's oh, wild. Yeah. So, so in a world where the social and digital content you're creating has more eyeballs than ever, it's the most important stuff you can do. Um, how can you make it unique? How can you give people a reason to be watching it um, and to tune into your channels. Uh, and how can you give them something that feels made for those channels? So it's not like you just took something that should have been on TV and you know cut it down to square for Instagram. So we focus mm-hmm. a lot and I focused the last few years on just like, what do people on digital and social want? And there's so many cliche things you can say about like every platform is different. Like you need to make content just for TikTok and just for Instagram, but it, it's true. Right, like the TikTok user wants something different from an Instagram different. user. Who YouTube, wants Instagram, from yeah. A, yeah, exactly. Twit so. in Twitter, like you, you could never post one video and put it up on all the same things, and it can't be the same, right? Let's just do professional sports: MLB, NFL, NHL, NBA. What league is doing the best social media marketing or content creation, in your opinion, right now? Uh, best is tough because it's sometimes like a combination of best with what they have and best with like overall for like, for example, Mm -hmm. the NBA is in such a uniquely wonderful position because they have, not only do they have a team that's staffed to do really great work, you know, 
their leadership on the social and digital side is extraordinary and they've been investing in it for a long time. But they yeah. also have, and they believe, and their fundamentals are like, hey, our content is advertising and marketing. So we're not going to like crack down on people publishing dunks on Twitter. We're going to, you know, join in with it. They also have yeah. the advantage of there's so many highlights in every game that there's so a many. lot for people to engage with. And there's right. a, a rising global audience. So the N NBA has the, mess, the most opportunity for growth and for reach, and they've capitalized on it. So that's the thing that I'd say is like the most impressive. Um, NFL has done this really good job. NFL was probably at the forefront uh, and remains there of player distribution, of leveraging the players' accounts and like creating relationships with them so that it's not just about um, your the NFL handle. And that's the thing that people, I think a lot of people forget is like, how does the NFL do it social? You can look at their X million followers on TikTok, Insta, and Twitter and whatnot. But if you combine their players, it's dramatically higher than that total. Yeah. And because they have this great relationship with their players, they have like really mastered that flow of content. And a lot of people have followed sort of their suit, I think, in terms of player distribution of content. So I'd say in terms of at the league level, most impressed by you know, NBA's NBA is the best opportunity and they've taken advantage Content. of it and done it well. They haven't, they haven't squandered it. Uh, and NFL is kind of the innovator in the player distribution stuff. And then the other leagues are, you know, because they're challenged to be more creative with their stuff, you'll see a lot of really cool executions um, from MLB and NHL. So just a different kind of judgment of success, but I'm pretty, uh, I, I'm very like, they all, they all have succeeded in their own different ways. And I think that the, the none of them have really flopped. Like I'm really kind impressed of by all of them or all of them have a lot to look at the last few years and be like, you know, we were the best at X. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. You know, it, it, it when you, what you said about the NFL actually rang true, I think kind of rings true to the real estate world too, is you could look at the NFL actual handle itself and yeah, it's got all these millions of followers. But it's not necessarily the, the tension might be more on the players themselves. So that so that so the uh, NFL capitalizes on the players, just like in brokerage. You know, maybe Compass itself, the handle itself, might be pretty boring or bland. It does have a lot of followers, but Compass itself has a lot of agents that have their own social media that they do very, 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 very good job. And the, and the tension might be more on those agents instead, rather than um, the the Compass uh, brand itself. Just on the final real estate question here. Uh, what do you think agents need to be doing outside, you know, when it comes to content creation now, rather than, uh, you know, here is, you know, one, two, three, four, banana lane, the single family home, right. just the door kitchen. I mean, outside of those videos, like, what do you think content wise, the brokers should be doing? Let's just say two types of brokers, the the younger generation that may not be as, as, as established, maybe they're still young and they're kind of trying to grow their business or maybe they're new. And then maybe the established, like the Carrie Changs of the world, let's just say, where, she doesn't have any social media presence. She still does well, but you know, maybe if she was to do something, one of those agents, what kind of content should they be creating in your opinion? I think that contextual video would be really helpful in the real estate community. And when I say that, I mean like mm -hmm. right now you have kind of the Matterport and the 3D visual tours, right? Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of them are good. The technology is great. The speed and the speed, the, the speed and the price of, how they're done uh like is great but then it doesn't necessarily hit the quality level that the realtors or brokers want right yeah like in yeah. terms of like you're looking through a report tour you don't feel like you're seeing like luxury 
elegant. Yes. Right? Like, <laughs> um, you want high level. So we've talked about like, how can you do like smooth tours that show you kind of almost like if you can picture like a James Bond Nintendo 64 game where it has like where you are any video game where it has like where you are on the map, like floor plan mapping to where you are on the tour while doing a high quality video. I really like that style. Uh, I think there okay. should be more of that. The other trend that may be less impactful in Manhattan real estate with small apartments, I've been loving uh, indoor drone tours using FPV drones. It's a trend I really okay. like. Um, there's a company called Indoor Drone Tours. It may just be indoordronetours.com. Um, uh-huh. The guy, John Batch, who is one of the leaders on it, uh, it's just a really, they, they're in Chicago, uh, but if you look mm-hmm. at their stuff, um, it's so nice and it's a unique, it's like five years ago, everybody was like, oh, cool. You have a gimbal. That's so steady as you're going through. Yeah. Mass, right. And the yeah, drones yeah. are like, okay, I want to like drop over a ledge. I want to like go up into the chandeliers and fall down. Um, and they are being able to be done more affordably than ever. So I think that if, if there is that industry in New York of like indoor FPV drone tours, either of new developments or just of individual condo and co-op units or townhouse units. I think that that's like, that's a type of content that I'm super bullish on. Should, should brokers be on TikTok? Yeah. <laughs> I think that Street Easy, yo, Street Easy is dominant on TikTok. Do you know that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've, seen, I've seen the listings. Yeah, it's cool. Street Easy they hire, they hire on TikTok. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of TikTok as a platform. Um, I've got 39,000 followers for no reason. Um, and <laughs> I don't get actual any engagement on my content anymore. I just had enough viral posts that it worked out. Uh, but you are you but, are a content um, creator and you are a popular guy. So it makes sense. <laughs> but like if you can, like there's a huge industry of people that are actually using TikTok to learn and to yeah. browse. So like you can do it for either the real estate porn purposes to show off your listings or to like explain to people what different aspects of the real estate jargon are in right. action, how they were implemented. So, I mean, that's, that's my quick take, but um, yeah, get on TikTok. Yeah. All right. If you're listening to those it. agents, get on TikTok, get on TikTok for sure. Uh, final question. What, so talk to us about what you're working on now, future projects, uh, gondola, you know, what, sure. what, what, what is your, what yeah, is your so passion directed fresh to tape, these days? Right. So most of, you know, fresh tape is, my primary business. We are based here in Denver and we have uh, seven or eight of us full-timers here, something like that. Uh, and we're, you know, continuing to do really cool work and with our army of creators around the country. Um, yeah. And we're doing really cool stuff in the video space and in the social space. And it's great. And two years ago, we built an internal analytics tool just to track our own stuff. And then realized about a year ago, like, wait, nobody else has access to something like this. Like none of our competitors or clients have a tool that does this. So we spent the last year or so like spinning it off as its own company. So I'm spending, you know, still most of my time on fresh tape, but a lot of it on gondola, which yeah. is the name of the new company. And gondola. it is at a, the, the elevator pitch, the elevator pitch is, it is a, uh, social tracking and analytics tool that can serve as a portfolio for creators, individuals that work at brands, anybody, like it doesn't matter if you've ever made something and published it on social, it'll have a lot of value for you. Um, Mm -hmm. And the long-term play because of how we do credits on content 
and we are creating the first credit system the way that you know film, film and tv have had for years that doesn't exist on social so by having yeah. a platform for that the long term is this can become imdb for social so a place uh, that people can uh, go when you see something that you love and you're like oh who made that tour of um you know 15th central park west and you could on instagram i saw that that was amazing who videoed that mm -hmm. you'd go into gondola yeah. and see who the videographers were so got that's it. the that's the pitch in a nutshell. So I'm spending a good amount of time got on it. that, and we've got you know full time engineers on it, and it's a good time. And that's why you're bringing one of your ex treaties, the engineers, uh, over to to help you build this out, build out this gondola. That's exactly. a really good uh, ski lift pitch, perhaps not an elevator pitch, or maybe a, a good <laughs> gondola pitch. Yeah, and the naming of the company was kind of funny at first. We named it because I wanted to do something like to pay tribute to Colorado and skiing and stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. But I had this uh, idea as a metaphor that I was like, um, you know, a gondola gets you to the top, but it's more fun when you're with the group, right? So it's more about like yeah. the we and taking, not just taking credit for me, but saying we did this together, right? Um, granted, it. you can't be Got on it. a gondola with other people right now. So I'm not actually <laughs> recommending sharing gondolas with strangers, but, you know. Metaphorically, the name yeah, speaking, metaphorically. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to kind of give a shout out to you know, your, the projects that you've done in the past with Gondola or Fresh Tape, just so that listeners can maybe look up who, you know, what you guys have done in the past. I mean, just following us on social is a good view and then freshtapemedia.com, our website, our website, freshtapemedia.com and then Gondola is gondola.cc, but we're still in like a private beta. So if you wanted to access it and test it out, I would just step you through the product. Yeah, I mean, I'm proud of, you know, a new, I'm proud of the work we do every week. It's just, there's so many cool things like this week we're going from a Puma shoot to a oh. professional bull riding edit. And like we do all kinds wow. of crazy stuff. So it really, it's, it really, it's diverse across the board. And I'm loving what we do. Uh, and I do miss the real estate community in New York for sure. It was like, <laughs> I said this to people, like I got really lucky I, when I left. So I left Street Easy, went to Vine and ran the sports partnerships for Vine. And then, parlay that to fresh tape and my only regret is that like i built so many relationships but didn't get to really like keep them up professionally and so now yes you know yeah so now i feel great i, I feel grateful to have you know even just little connections to the world that i love in the new york real estate community 100 100 you know, yeah, yeah. and, and like, you never know you never know those those relationships that you fostered in the past may still continue into the future. You just never know. Oh, heck yeah. Well, listen, Jared, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on. You know, we went way over time. Uh, you know, just with an hour here, but um, I, I truly appreciate it. And and for our listeners, please again, I'm just gonna plug Jared one more time on his social media handles. Follow him. Check out his websites, Jarzod J A R Z O D on both Instagram and Twitter and at Fresh Tape Media, again, both on Instagram and Twitter. Jared, thank you very much. Let's stay in touch. And hopefully Talk, I'll see you you're a legend. Uh, when I'm back in Vail again. For sure. And if anybody listening to this is trying to decide between working with somebody else as their broker in New York <laughs> or Talk, go with Talk. He did not Venmo me $20 to say that. That's genuine. <laughs> All right, Jared. Thank you for the plug as well. Appreciate it, man. Stay in touch. Talk to Later you soon. Dude. See you. Hope to see you soon. Take care. Thanks, bye bye. Man. All right, thank you.